Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm here to apologize. I am young and I am inexperienced. But you cannot hold Carl Lee Haley responsible for my shortcomings. But you see, in all this legal maneuvering, something has gotten lost. And that something is the truth. It is incumbent upon us lawyers not to just talk about the truth, but to actually seek it, to find it, to live it. Let's take Dr. Bass, for example. All right. Anybody remember that movie? Matthew McConaughey? Lincoln Lawyer, I think it's called? Okay, what you got to know from that clip is the point we're going to make in the book of Hebrews today. When you have your day in court, right? When you go before the judge, when there's a jury in front of you, you better have a good lawyer. (laughs) You better have a good advocate. Nobody wants to stand in court alone. That's foolish. Nobody wants to make their case alone. And the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians in the first century who are struggling with their faith. They're being persecuted. They've chosen to follow Jesus, and now their culture, the Roman culture, their own government is persecuting them. Their Jewish community that loved them has ostracized them. They're just caught between a rock and a hard place. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them to encourage them through this incredible storm that they're going through. A storm of persecution, economic struggle, difficulty to make life work in the first century world. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hold on to Jesus. Don't walk away. Don't go back to an old tradition, an old way of doing things. Hold on to Jesus because he is the anchor. He is the only anchor that can hold on to you in the storms of life. And today he's going to make the argument in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is the anchor because he is the advocate that can hold up your case in the court of life, because nobody wants to go before the court alone. Nobody would be foolish enough to face the judge without an advocate, without an adversary. And from that passage we just read, we see that Jesus is the only true advocate that can hold up your case in the court of life. We're going to look at this morning, Jesus as our advocate from Hebrews chapter 7, why we need an advocate And why that matters to each one of us right here today in Orange County. Why do we need an advocate? Well, let's look at the book of Hebrews here, chapter 7. And remind ourselves that, Mel, I just lost my slide. Uh Uh-oh, we need technology. Remind ourselves why we need an advocate. Here's the opening argument. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And now a better hope has been introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever because of this oath. Jesus becomes the guarantor of a better covenant. 
Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. The author is making this argument for advocacy, for intercession through Jesus Christ in your life because he is a superior high priest. He's comparing the new priesthood of Jesus under the new covenant with the old Levitical priesthood in the law. Remember, these Hebrew Jewish Christians are thinking of going back to the old Levitical law priesthood, the old system. And this argument is saying that Jesus is a superior high priest because he lives to make intercession, permanent intercession for us. He comes from not the old order, but a new order, the order of Melchizedek. I would encourage you this week to open up Hebrews chapter 7 and read it for yourself. There's some, so many rich, great truths in God's word. But the, the argument opens the fact that Jesus is of a new order, the order of Melchizedek, not the Levitical priesthood of Moses that came from the law, but the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ introduced in the book of Genesis. Read that, chapter 7. Go back to Genesis chapter 14 and look about Melchizedek because he is a type of Christ, foreshadowing the, the eternal priesthood of Christ. And so he comes out of a, a different order, the order of Melchizedek, an eternal order, not an earthly order. And it comes from an oath. See, the old covenant, the law, the oath was through ancestry. You become a Levitical priest and you're in the line of Levi. It's Levi and sons, right? Levi and sons. What's the argument here is that you don't need Levi and sons. You need Jesus, the son, <laughs> the eternal son of God. That comes from an oath. It doesn't come from ancestry, not the Levitical ancestry, human priesthood, death after death after death. It comes from an eternal priesthood based on the promise and oath of God. Psalm 110 is being quoted here. After the law, God said, you are going to be a priest forever. There's a better priesthood that's coming and that is the priesthood of Jesus that comes from an eternal order and an eternal oath. And therefore, it brings a permanent priesthood, right? A permanent outcome. You don't need Levi and sons. You need Jesus, the eternal son, as your advocate in the courtroom of life. That's the argument. And see, this makes sense in the ancient world. This makes sense to a first century reader because guess what? There's a temple on every corner in the first century world. Have you ever been to Rome and seen the relics of Rome, toured the city? There's an ancient temple on every corner, right? In the first century world, everybody had a religion. There were all kinds of gods, and every religion had a temple. Every religion had a priest. Every religion offered sacrifices. So this argument makes sense. Jesus is a better advocate. He's a better intercessor because he's a better high priest. And I'll go to him because his priesthood is permanent. It makes sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us, right? There's not a temple on every corner in Orange County. The people aren't making sacrifices every day. You guys aren't going and meeting with priests and having sacrifices done for you so you can have an advocacy before God. That doesn't make sense. But what does make sense 
is the word in Hebrew 7 that says intercession or advocacy. It's not just a religious term. It's a legal term. And guess what we do have on every corner in Orange County? We have Starbucks, yes. We also have a lawyer's office, right? If you live in Orange County and you're going to be in business, if you live in Orange County and you're going to make a contractual agreement, if you live in Orange County and you're going to put together a will, if you live in Orange County and anything you do, you better get a good lawyer. Amen? Amen, right? We are in a litigious society. People sue people every day, and we understand what it's like to be in court. Everybody doesn't want to be there, but if you get there, what better you have? An advocate, right? Jesus is the legal advocate. He is the lawyer. He's not a Lincoln lawyer, right, like that. He doesn't have to make excuses for his humanity, his lack of experience, the fact that he's just learning the trade. He knows it all because he is the eternal abiding son of God and he's come for your advocacy in court. That's the argument. Intercession had a legal definition. It makes sense to us because guess what? It feels like, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like this. It feels like every day in Orange County, I have to make a case for my life. Not necessarily before a courtroom. There's courtrooms everywhere, but it feels like in Orange County, every day I have to make a case for my life. It seems as though when we pop out of the womb, right, we're starting to make a case for our life. We're starting to look for advocacy. We're starting to look for affirmation. We're starting to look outside of ourselves for value and worth, and we need it from mom and dad, right? Mom and dad, look at me, look at me. Make, I'm making a case for my life. Look at me on the swings. Look at me on the jungle gym. I'm making a case for my life. Then we move to the court, right? Hey, dad, look at me. I'm going between my legs. I'm making a case for my life, right, dad? Look at me. Give me value. Give me worth, right? And then it goes to the classroom. We look to our teachers. We look to grades, And then it goes to the marketplace. We look for money, power. We're making a case for our lives that we matter, we have worth, we have value, and we need somebody outside of ourselves to give us advocacy, to give us affirmation. We're looking for that. We don't feel enough inside of ourselves. We're insecure. We feel fragile, so we're looking at it from coaches and teachers and parents and the marketplace. And we're posting all the time, look at me, look at my post. I'm making a, how many likes? I'm making a case for my life. You guys ever feel that way? <laughs> you feel like you're always having to make a case for your life? That's why you need an advocate. There was a playwright. Life, his name was Arthur Miller, famous American playwright. Somebody know what he's famous for? What, what, what play did he write? Trivia, 100 bucks. What? Oh, I owe Fred. He's an elder. I'll, I'll, I'll get you later, Fred. I'll take care of you later. Uh, yeah, Arthur Miller, Death of a Salesman. He wrote a play called After the Fall, and one of his characters was named Quentin, and he describes what we experience every day as human beings. This idea that life is a trial... And we're always making a case for our life. Look at what he says here in this play. For many years, I looked at life like a case at law. It was a great series of proofs. When you are young, you prove how brave you are and how smart. And then what a good lover. Then a good father. And finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. 
But underlying it all, I see now there was a presupposition that one moved on upward on an upward path towards some elevation where someday I would be justified or, or even condemned. A verdict. I was looking for a verdict anyway, an outcome. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked to, uh, up one day, I looked up one day, and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. And all that remained was this endless argument in my head, this pointless litigation of, of existence before an empty bench, which, of course, is another way of saying despair. Arthur Miller is making a powerful statement through this character, Quentin. He's making a statement about how we experience our existence as human beings, always making a case for my life. He's a modern. He's an atheist. And so he says, I'm making that case, and one day I grew up and I looked up for the heavenly bench, and there was nobody there. There's no God to be found. But then he says, that endless case kept going on in my mind. And eventually I realized I was arguing for nothing, no, no purpose for my existence, no worthiness of my being, and what that led to despair. What Arthur Miller is saying, which is true about humanity, true about our existence, is that we can't avoid turning life into a trial. We're all doing it. We're all trying to justify. We're all trying to affirm. We're all trying to prove that we're worthy enough, we're lovable enough, we're valuable enough. We're all looking for a a verdict from outside ourselves. Someone in these smaller courts, whether it's the basketball court, and we're trying to be number one with our brackets. By the way, mine are all busted up, so throw that away. But whether we're making a court in the classroom or the basketball court or the marketplace, we're all trying to look for a verdict from somewhere outside of ourselves. Well, the book of Romans affirms this reality. Even though an atheist might deny it in their head, even though a secular society might deny this through human wisdom, the reality in our hearts, we know. We know because there's been a moral law imprinted upon our soul by our creator. We know that there is good and evil. We know that there's a verdict. We know that we're making a case for our life, and we're looking for the Lord above to give us an affirmation. It's embedded in our souls God has put a conscience inside of us. He's put a moral compass, and we're making this case for our lives. That's what the book of Romans would say. And the author of Hebrews would say, don't ever stand before that heavenly bench. Don't ever stand before that bench and try to make that case alone. Don't ever go before that heavenly bench and try to make your case alone. That's what he's saying If you go back to religion, if you go back to the law, trying to justify yourself by keeping the law, you're making your case alone, and that case will fail in the heavenly court. You will not measure up. Even though the atheists might make their case somewhere, somehow, one day they are foolish because they're going to stand before a heavenly court. There is an ultimate case, there is an ultimate court, and there's an ultimate outcome on your life. And the author of Hebrews says, don't go before that court. Don't go before that heavenly bench and make your case alone. Religion, Levitical priesthood, it was not effective because it was making a case based on a human's ability to measure up to a holy law. And guess what? 
everyone falls short. That's why you need an advocate. That's why you need an eternal one to make your case. And that's why Jesus came to make the case that he alone can make. That is the argument for the book of Hebrews. He can uphold your case in the courtroom of life. Here's what the author says. But because Jesus, this eternal priest, this eternal advocate, this eternal lawyer, lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Jesus the Son. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, make their case through him, because he always lives to intercede, right, for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, human high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for their own sins, and then for the sins of the people, He, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but it is the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, Jesus the Son, who has has been made perfect forever. Jesus is a superior lawyer. (laughs) He's a superior advocate. He's a superior high priest, intercessor, because His priesthood is permanent. We just talked about that. It's not ancestry. It's eternal because he is the eternal son of God. His priesthood is pure because he doesn't have to go like a human priest and, first of all, deal with his own stuff, argue his own case, sacrifice for his own sins. Then he can deal with the sins of the people. He's pure and holy and blameless, set apart. He is the one that can make your case in the court of law, in the court of life. He argues the perfect case, the perfect outcome for your life. That's why you want Jesus as your advocate before the holy bench, before the case of your life. What does it look like? What does that mean? Well, here's a question. What do you look like in court? You ever been in court? You ever sat there and had somebody argue? What do you look like in court? Scared? Fearful? (laughs) No, you look like your lawyer. You look like your advocate because you sit there and he makes the case, right? And if your lawyer is brilliant, guess what? You look brilliant. If your lawyer is wise, guess what? You look wise. If your lawyer is wonderful, guess what? You look wonderful. If your lawyer wins, guess what? You win. You see, in a sense, you are in your advocate in the courtroom as he argues the case for your life. Christianity is so unique amongst all the religions of the world because it's not a religion. It is a relationship with the eternal God. And guess what? The unique Christian term is that you are in Christ. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you are placed in your advocate And God sees you in and through your advocate. Just like in a court of law, the lawyer, you're in your lawyer, you're in his case, you're in his voice, you're in his his work. We are in Christ. 160 times in the New Testament, Paul coins this term and it's talked about that as a Christian you are in Christ. Jesus is just not a good example. That's not Christianity. 
just just need to come to be a good example so you could try harder to be a better person. That's arguing your case on your own. I'm following the example of Jesus, trying to read my Bible, trying to be a better person, trying to bootstrap it up and become a better person. That case will never work in the courtroom of life. That is religion. That's based on your own efforts. You are in the efforts of Christ. When you embrace his advocacy, he's not your example. He's your advocate. You've been placed into his death, his substitutionary death for you, and you've been placed in his life. He is your, have you embraced Jesus as your advocate, or are you just coming to church trying to be a better person on your own strength? That's making a case on your own. You want him to make the case. He is the perfect lawyer because he argues the perfect case for your life. Guess what? Jesus doesn't argue for mercy. What, Bucky? What you t- I thought, what are you talking about? He doesn't argue for mercy? No, he doesn't. He argues for justice. What? I used to think that, you know, Jesus would come into the courtroom metaphorically with a caseload. Oh, there's Dennis. He's up, on, he's up again. <laughs> well, Father Bucky, uh, you know, he's, he's really a pretty good guy. He promised at Christmas that he was going to be a better husband. He promised he'd love his daughter a little bit better. He promised he'd give a little bit in the offering and, and, and be a better neighbor. And uh, he's kind of blown it again. I <laughs> see he's, he's gotten angry. He's gotten frustrated with his wife. And he, he kind of cursed, cursed at his name. He just he blew it again. Well, Father, you know what? Just give him one more try. He's a good guy. I mean, he tries to be a good pastor. And, you know, you owe me one, Dad. You owe me one, Father. I went down there and did that human thing. And, you know, it's pretty tough to be a human down there. So just give Bucky one more try. Please, pretty please. Just, I beg for mercy. I fall on the mercy of the court. I used to think that was the argument. That's not the argument. Do you guys know that? That is not the argument. What does Jesus say? Father, Bucky's guilty. <laughs> he is guilty as charged. He is guilty as charged. He's a sinner. And guess what? I demand justice. And here is the justice. My body and my blood. That's the advocate. Here is the justice. My body and my blood. I made the ultimate sacrifice for Bucky on the cross. And so I demand justice. Because, Father, your justice would never ask for two payments for the same debt. That would be unjust, Father, for you to demand two payments for the same debt, and the debt has been paid for Bucky on the cross. Therefore, I demand justice. And your justice and your righteousness now demands that Bucky be accepted in your eternal brace and your love. That is the case that Jesus makes for you. He's not pleading for mercy, he's pleading for justice because justice was served by his own body and blood in your place. His advocacy, his substitutionary death, he pleads for justice. He would never ask you to pay the penalty that has already been paid. Is that the case that you want in the courtroom of life for your very soul? That's the case that I want. I want the body and blood of the Son of God to be in my place. Have you embraced the eternal advocacy of the Son of God who came for justice and because justice is served, he offers you mercy. But you want the argument of justice because it is in his righteousness and his justice 
that we are justified. That's why he's the perfect advocate. That's why 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, if we're honest about who we are, and we can't argue our own case, we know that. We have an advocate who is faithful and just. It doesn't say that Jesus is merciful and just. It says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is the case for your soul and your life. The substitutionary life and death of Jesus has made the perfect case for your eternal outcome. He lived the perfect life. He is faithful. He fulfilled the law for you in your place. Every part of it, he fulfilled it. And he's just because he died the perfect death that you deserved. And he paid the price. And so he makes the perfect case. Now the righteousness and justice of God demands your acceptance and embrace. Is that the case? You, Amen. Can you give an amen? That is the case that I want that kind of lawyer arguing for me in court. Right? He's not arguing based on Bucky's just going to become a better guy in his own strength. No, the price has been played. And guess what? Case closed. Case is closed, guys, on the body and blood and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Case is closed. You are free and forgiven. Case is closed. And what does that mean for you and me? As we close our service, as we prepare to take communion, it means that you can embrace your advocate on a daily basis. Are you embracing and living out the advocacy of Jesus Christ, the intercession for you? Because it isn't just about a pardon. It's about a different way of life. Do you realize because of the advocacy of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, what does he say? He says, wonderful. He doesn't see a sinner. He doesn't see a less than. He doesn't see a broken. He doesn't see a loser. He doesn't see a bracket broken. He sees wonder. Do you know that when the high priest went into the temple, do you know what he was dressed in? Does anybody know what he was dressed in? He was dressed in probably the net worth of all of Israel. Do you know that he had gold bands around his head? Do you know that he had precious gemstones all over his ephod? Do you know that he was, he was dressed in wonder? He was a beauty when he went before God. And now you are in your advocate, Jesus Christ, the high priest. And all that was a picture to say when God looks at you, he sees a beauty. He sees a wonder. He sees forgiven, righteous, just, holy, pure, blameless, beloved. That's when he sees when he looks at you. Do you see yourself through his eyes now? The eyes of your advocate? You see, the adversary is going to come to you and say, you are worthless. You are no good. You blew it again. God's never going to accept you. You're a loser. You're a sinner. And he's going to accuse you before the throne of God. And Are you going to make your case? Well, I did a little bit better yesterday. You know, I'm trying my best, God. No, let your advocate make your case. It comes from the Word of God, Romans 8. Let your advocate in your mind tell that accuser, there is therefore now no condom. Get thee behind me, accuser, Satan. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Jesus Christ. That is the confidence we stand before the throne room of grace and mercy. Ephesians 1, I am holy and blameless, chosen before the foundation. You have these scriptures in your mind that you let your advocate speak to the accuser when he accuses you and says you're no good and you're worthless and you can't do anything for God. 
1 John 1, 8, 9, take these passages, renew your mind, and live in the advocacy that's already been given to you in Jesus Christ. It is a new confidence. It is a new contentment. I can be at peace now with who I am in God, with who he's made me to be. My advocate says I am with you. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through myself. No, I can do all things through my advocate, Christ, who strengthens me. He is with me now, even in the ups and downs of life. It's a new contentment, being at peace because he is with you and he's working his plan in your life. It's a new courage. It's a new courage to stand up and be an advocate for somebody else. It's the courage to love. It's the courage to give. It's the courage to serve and to sacrifice because your advocate is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Now you are sent to intercede for others. You can pray for people and it makes an eternal difference. There is somebody that I met before the service who's going through a huge storm and we've been praying for his mother. His mother who didn't know if she knew Jesus Christ. We've been praying for her. We were praying for her salvation, and God sent an advocate, a pastor, to the bedside, and she accepted Christ before she went home, and that family has a hope now. They're going to see their their mother again in eternity. Do you know know the power that you have now of the gospel inside of you to go and be an advocate, to intercede, to bless, to encourage, and to share the good news of Jesus? That's why we're here. It's a courage to be bold in love and making a difference. That's where we're going to that community over there. That's why we invite our neighbors. That's why we serve the poor. That's why we bless and build homes in Mexico because God has called us to be an advocate for the poor and the broken and the hurting because that's his heart for the lost. This is what it's all about. Have you embraced your advocate? He's right here at this table this morning. And he says to you, the case has been closed. This is my body and blood which is given for you. This is my advocacy. You are free and forgiven. You are clean. You are whole. And you are wonderful. Let's come to this table. We have four around us. Take the bread and the cup and say, Jesus, thank you. The case has been closed. I am your beloved child. I'm your beloved daughter. I'm wonderful because of your love. Help me to live a wonderful life through the power of your spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thanks for this word of encouragement. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is in this place now. Spirit, would you move on the hearts and minds of your people? Lord, I speak against the curses and lies that have been given to these people in this room because they haven't had loving fathers or mothers because the world has betrayed them because they've been broken and hurt by their friends. Lord, they're, they're hurting, Father. There are people in this room that need to know you, Jesus, that need your healing, your grace, and your love. And so, Spirit, would you minister your advocacy? Would you breathe the words of belovedness and forgiveness and grace and set us free, that we would live the life of wonder that you've given your life for us. We celebrate your body and love and heal us now through the power of your love. In Jesus' name, we worship you. Amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.